0: Well, September the 29th, 1929. Anyone around then that's here? So uh, that was the day, September the 29th, 1929, was the day that my mother-in-law was born. She's going to be coming out this fall to live with us, which is very exciting. Some people get very nervous about that. Uh, I'm not nervous at all because she's just fantastic lady, and, um, but that, that date, you know, because remember that for her, her birthday, September 29, 1929. Does anyone know what happened on October 29 1929? Okay, there was what they call a big crash. The stock market fell. And of course, that's part of our history. I'm not sure how many young people are learning history today in school, but on that day, uh, we were riding through the roaring uh, 20s as a nation where, where people were buying and, and things were exploding, people were living a good life, they're building homes, Their businesses are expanding. And there were a number of people that were saying, this isn't going to last, it's not going to last. And, uh, and then on that Tuesday, of the 29th of October, everything crashed. And right after that, in England, the same things happened. It affected the entire world. And we went into what we call now the Great Depression. So here's a little girl, Mary Harding. She was, that was her maiden name. Mary Harding is born. And then one month to the day later, she goes from born in the roaring 20s to entering into growing up in what we call the Great Depression. And she grew up as uh, her dad was a migrant farmer. So they lived in a tent in Idaho. Some of you remember the, or saw the movie The Grapes of Wrath, the old movie The Grapes of Wrath. That's how my mother-in-law lived, uh, in a tent, uh, barefoot a lot of the time, uh, going to a different school, makeshift school along the way, California, Idaho, Oklahoma, Dust Bowl, uh, times of life. And um, her father, Walter Harding, was uh, a hard man. He, he was an abusive man. He, he took their money and, and spent it uh, on alcohol. He was an alcoholic. Uh, he was physically abusive, verbally abusive. And so she grew up in a very, very harsh environment, uh, the way she lived and then in her home. And then when she was a little girl, her, her mother and her ran away uh, to get away from dad because he was so abusive. And so they, now they're trying to live on their own, a mom and her little girl. And this is the way she grew up. Well, um, mom, as I call her, uh, grew up, grew up uh, made it through high school, got her degree, uh, became, uh, she said, I'm not going to live like this. And she became a TWA uh, flight attendant. And so she was flying all over the country and actually uh, met... My father-in-law, for the first time at the Brown Palace Hotel downtown, he was here for he was playing for Kansas as they came in to play Colorado, and uh, they met there. The rest is history, but uh, of course a lot of other. But I just want to I want to tell you something about her life when she met uh, Dad Stralo. He was a believer, but he was like a lot of Christians. They're Christian, you know, because I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I I have prayed a prayer. Lord, forgive me for my sin and come into my heart and, and be my Savior. But he really wasn't what I call a growing, uh, dynamic type of a Christian. And so I'm, I think we're getting a little feedback here. Is that uh, <clears throat> on this speaker? But might uh, be just a plug there. Maybe I'm the only one hearing it. But <clears throat> excuse me. But he was he was the type of Christian that was what I'd say nominal. But as they started dating, he invited Mom, who, who, who was not a believer, did not know anything of Christ or Christianity or anything. He invited her to an evangelistic meeting in Kansas City. And she heard the gospel for the very first time how that Jesus Christ died for her sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and by believing in him, she could have eternal life. And I think, uh, I don't think it was the first night, but maybe the second night, she said, I want to go back. I want to go back. And he's kind of like, Go back again? We just went one time, uh, and she said, I want to go back. And the next night, she put her faith and trust in Christ. And then she wanted, I think it was a two-week meeting, she wanted to go back every night. <laughs> and so she's dragging my father-in-law, this nominal Christian, saying, we got to go back, this is so exciting. And her life started to radically change. I mean, just radically change. And she began really the fire, putting the fire back in him to live for Christ and really be be a testimony to to live in a way that would be an appealing thing for others. And as she grew, she began to think about her dad. Here here was a dad who had had offended her, who had hurt her, who had, uh, there was a lot that was, would, would well up with bitterness with her toward her father. And she was convicted that she needed to love her dad. And so for the next 20 years, Mary Stralo and the entire family started loving on Walter Harding. He had gotten back with his wife. <clears throat> Excuse me, they were living together uh, as, as a married couple, but he was still the same way that he was, uh, very far from God, very harsh man, very abusive man. And, uh, but for 20 years, they loved on him. And it had such an impact upon him that he, he said one time, I want to go to church with you. He went, heard the gospel, and became a Christian when he was 72 years old. Now, it's the first time he'd ever hear the, heard the gospel. But what was the convincing part of this? What, what was it that drew him to Christ? It wasn't a creed, it wasn't a theology, it wasn't just uh, the sermon that he heard at the end. It was the life of his daughter, whose life had radically, radically changed. And one of the biggest parts of that change was that she forgave him. She, she was willing to forgive him. And he hadn't even, even asked for forgiveness. But that was the kind of heart, and she loved on her dad. Well, Walter Harding only had an eighth grade education. He'd been a migrant farmer all his life, now 72 years of age. So he decided to get some tapes of the Bible and started listening to the Scripture. When I met him, I think it was ni- <clears throat> excuse me, 1981, 19, about 1981, And I met him, he had already worn out two sets of tapes listening to the Scriptures. He was now in his 80s, was teaching a uh, second-grade boys' Sunday school class. He would would teach the lesson into the tape recorder and listen to it and then modify it and change it. He'd do this over and over all week long. He would listen to the Scripture constantly. Everything about Walter's life began to change. So, So when I met him, this guy loved God. He had the joy of the Lord. He was so kind and loving. He used to sit at the kitchen table with dominoes. Anybody play the game dominoes? Hey, tap his finger. You want to play, Matt? You want to play some dominoes? (laughs) So whoever's coming to the kitchen got stuck playing dominoes with Walter Harding. But you watch a man's life who had spent 72 years so far from God, a life that was so mean and harsh and brutal and unkind and abusive, change so radically. How does that happen? How does that happen? And we're going to look at it this morning in one of the great texts of the Bible. And it is Second Corinthians chapter three and verse eighteen. If you want to turn there. And this verse to me has been like a one I constantly go back to because what it describes is how God changes a life from being like the old you to being like Jesus Christ. We saw that with Mary. We saw that with Walter. We've seen that with countless people. We've seen that in the life of the Apostle Paul, Of going, your life going from being what it was to radically being transformed. But before we look at this verse, I want you just, if you have your Bible, to turn over to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's just a page over. And a reminder that Paul gives to us. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Literally, a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That is just a tremendous passage of Scripture if anyone is in Christ and, if, and in other words if anyone puts their faith and trust and belief their total reliance upon Jesus Christ for salvation, he makes them a new creation, a new creature, the old is past and the new has come. Well that is the transformation that we speak about we look back a page back to second Corinthians 3 and verse 18. It says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Spirit, the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I read this in the New American Standard Bible. New American Standard Translation is one of my favorites. Of course, I've got about five favorites. But... uh, This translation is a very literal translation. It expresses a few things in this verse, but I always like making a comparison. Uh, You have a very literal translation, uh, New American Standard. I've talked about this before. You have uh, ESV, the NIV, which is probably the most popular one, Uh, the NLT, New Living Translation, which really, to me, is a dynamic, uh, equivalent translation. But I want to, this morning, kind of unpack this one verse with you and and talk about how Christians grow. How does God change your life? Just to me, it's just a, a tremendous concept. We are changed to be like Jesus Christ. This is the change. Now, most of us don't like change. Yesterday, we were packing up the tra- uh, trailer and uh, my little granddaughter, she's, she's not even three yet. She says, I don't want to leave my house. I, I don't want to go. to. They're going to Wisconsin on the way to Micronesia, but I don't want to go to Wisconsin. And I would probably say that too. Uh, I, <clears throat> I remember when her, her daddy was saying the same thing when we were moving and he was 14 years of old. We don't like change. Uh, most of us. We, we like things. Even if things are not that great, we're comfortable with the way things are. But when when God saves you, He calls you to change. Change is not easy, but He wants to change you for it to be less and less like the old you, to more and more like Jesus Christ. And when you are living like Jesus Christ, like Mary was before her father, it'll change the world. This is what authenticates Christianity to others. And so if it, to me, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I can tell that, but I'm really excited about this verse and sharing it this morning because to, it has done so much for me personally, just understanding how God continues to do the, the same work in my own life. And, he, and Paul starts out with these first uh, few words, but we all, but we all. And I love this, how Paul Includes all of us together when we say this is this family of believers of and I and I imagine that as he's writing this letter to a group of believers in Corinth that uh, they're reading someone's reading this to other people and he says but we all all of us are in this together Paul is speaking out of his personal experience it's not just this rhetoric it's not just this um, lesson that he has, to, that he's taking from the shelf, studying it and giving to this people. These truths that Paul is sharing with his friends and believers are truths that have changed his life. These These have become the reality that he has experienced. And so I think he writes with the same passion I share with you this morning, as they have changed my life, that God has continued to do this work in, in the life of the Apostle Paul. It is an extraordinary work of God. We've talked the last uh, number of weeks about um, it's an extraordinary life, the call to an extraordinary life. It is extraordinary. It is beyond what is norm. And, and Paul speaks about this transformation. He was a murderer. He was a, persecu- a persecutor of Christians. He was feared by all of the early church. And he has experienced not only the gift of eternal life, but the radical transformation and change to be more and more like Jesus Christ and less and less like himself. And and my prayer would be that that, those truths would be for all of you here. Um, If you come to know Christ as your personal Savior, that's the most wonderful thing in life. But, folks, it does not end there. That is just the beginning. I would be so sad if we just added people that are getting a ticket to heaven. God has so much more for you. And he does it as he is described here in in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So Paul says this, we all with open face. Now we, what does it mean with an open face? Last Sunday we talked a little bit about Moses coming down from the mountain after he'd been with God and receiving the Ten Commandments. And the Scripture tells us that he put a veil in front of his face. Do you remember why? Because his face was glowing. He had been in the presence of God, and his face was radiating, and he puts this veil in front of his face so it won't blind the people. It's kind of like being blinded by the the moon. The moon just reflects the light of the sun, being blinded by the moon. Well, his face has reflected the glory of God, and he comes down. And so, Paul uses this language of a veil, but he's he's used it to, to describe really the hearts of people. He says when they when they read the law of Moses, they're reading like with a with a veil um, over their faces. Look at verse fifteen. Just back up. From verse eighteen it says, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. What does it mean to have a veil over your heart? It's like a or a veil over your face. It's like you're not getting it. You're 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 blind, to, you're not seeing it, you're not you're not getting it. This is what, what had happened to a lot of the Jews is that when Moses is read, the law is speaking toward Christ, the Messiah. The law and the word is speaking truth. They're not seeing it. It's like they're looking right at it, and they're not seeing it because there's a veil covering their hearts. But in verse 16, it says, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when a person by faith will say, I'm going to put my trust in Christ as my Savior, it is a step of faith. Someone says it's like like stepping off into thin thinner. It is. It is a step of faith. You cannot get around to being a step of faith. You try to logically prove everything, it is a step of faith. But when you take that step of faith, it says, the veil's removed. Ah, now I see. Now I see. The Word is starting to open up to me. Now, personal experience in my own life. I was saved when I was four years old. You say, you can't be saved when you're four years old. I was saved when I was four years old. I remember it. I mean, I don't remember a lot when I was four years old. I think a few uh, discipline situations with my dad. <laughs> um, you know, I, but I remember, I remember the night that I came to Christ and he forgave me of my sins. I remember that. Uh, and I've never really doubted that that, that, that that took place. But from the time I was four until the time I was 18, I pretty much lived that mediocre, nominal go through the motions, Christian life. I wasn't really a bad kid. wasn't really a great kid. I didn't really talk about Christ a lot, but I just kind of go into the motions. But when, when I was 18, as, and it was after I graduated from high school, I had uh, a New American Standard Bible that my dad had given to me. And I started reading it. And I remember getting beside my bunk and at camp that summer, and kneeling and saying, Lord, and I wasn't asking to be saved because I knew I was saved. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Whatever you teach me, I'm willing to do. The, un, the unveiled face is the willing face, the unresistant face, the, the face that says, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whatever you show me, whatever you teach me, whatever you guide me into, I will do that. And it's like at that, that night, it's like the Scriptures began to open up to me. Because I I wasn't, my attitude wasn't, well, I'm going to see if I like this before I agree to it. Because that's kind of the way I was before. I want to see if I like this before I agree to it. That's not faith. Faith is saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you call me to do is is a matter of obedience or a matter of faith or a matter matter of doing your will, Lord. I come to this book in a sense, my face is unveiled, my heart is unveiled. I will follow you. I will follow you with my whole life. And from that point on, my life started to radically change. This is what is taking place. So he says, we all with unveiled face, unresistant face, the veil is taken away. We're able to look. We're able to to see. It says, we behold as in a mirror, the glory of God. Now this, this phrase is why the, I chose this translation. It's actually, we behold a reflection. Some of your translations may use reflection or glass or mirror. We're beholding, as in a mirror, a glass, the glory of God. Okay, that's a pretty, to me, I'd say I can't even unpack that because that's, that's, talk about unpacking this verse, but that's just such a big concept, the glory of God. I would say the glory of God is the sum total of all that he is and all that he does. The glory of God is all that he is and all that he is. And and to me, it would be like Moses on the mountain, just I can't even stand to look at that because it's so magnificent. So how can I behold it when Moses couldn't even stand to be there? As in a mirror, the glory of God. So the word behold means to gaze, to contemplate, to meditate, to sink in, to think about it, to study, to really observe. It's not just that I look at it. It's not a glance. It's not a look, oh, I see that. It, it is, to, it is to, to take this and to, to look with such intensity and curiosity and examination and observation as I'm looking here. Now, you say, why do you keep looking down at your Bible? Okay, let me, let me show you this progression of thought because this is amazing. Okay, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the sum total of all that He is and all that He's ever done. How is it revealed to us? How is the glory of God revealed to us? I'm glad you asked that question. Look at, look at chapter 4, and we're all on the same page here. Chapter 4, verse 6. It says, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the light of the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. How how can we tangibly, visibly see G, uh, a God. It's through Jesus. So God is spirit. We don't see God. God. God radiates His glory. We can't even stand to be in His presence. He said no, no one shall see God and live. But He gives us Jesus who came as man upon the earth. He lived among us. We saw, we saw Him or the disciples, the people that saw, saw Him. So the face of of God is Jesus Christ. Now, that's how God has shown himself to us. Yeah, but you say, but Jesus isn't here now. So what what happens? And this is why you think back uh, to the Gospel of John, which I always tell people, I said, if you want to start reading the Bible, start in John. (laughs) It's just, and it starts like Genesis. It says, in the beginning... Now listen to this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Isn't that interesting? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 11 says, He came to His own or It says in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. How does the Word become flesh? And He dwelt or lived among us, and we saw His glory. We saw His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, we have the glory of God shown to us in the face of Jesus Christ, who is the living Word. This is the word. So, and this is when he talks about the glass, the mirror, would be like me standing up here looking in the mirror. And what does the mirror reflect onto me? Well, I say I see myself. I don't like what I see. It's like you get up in the morning, you don't like what you see. We got to do some fixing up <laughs> before we get to church. It reflects and shows me my human condition, but but the mirror is like a glass that shows me the face of Christ and has a transforming power to make me like Him. That's what it's saying. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by the living Word is a mirror that reflects Jesus Christ onto me. It's like with Moses' face, the, the glory shown off his face, that Jesus Christ begins to impress his life upon you and change you by his power, by the living word. And, and he changes us into the same image. So when he says, Beholding us in a glass, the glory of the God, we are changed. We are changed. John says later on, when we get to heaven, it says, we shall see him, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The the complete and absolute change is when we get to heaven. Unfortunately, none of us are going to be exactly just like Jesus all the time. In fact, we're not going to get through today. You maybe feel like Jesus right now, but we won't get through the end of the day with, oh, I struggle with that because it's an ongoing work and an ongoing process. We are changed into the same image. Now, what does that mean to be in the same image as Christ or the same image as God? There are attributes that he has that we would say are incommunicable. Got it right the first time. In other words, God can't give us omnipotence or omniscience You know, all power, all wisdom. He doesn't give us omnipresence where he's everywhere at once. He doesn't give us his transcendence. We're not the same as God. But in his person and his character like Jesus, that we have love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, our lives become, because we're not naturally that way, are we? We're not naturally that way. We're naturally reactive, impatient, unkind, mean. That's what comes out of the flesh. But the more and more I gaze into the Word and I see the face of Jesus reflected onto me in the glory of God, He is changing my life to be more like His. And that's extraordinary today. That's extraordinary. When you become like Jesus Christ, It is uh the word actually we are changed is a word metamorphosis. We get the word metamorphosis met- metamorpho metamorphosis, which is the same as we would see a caterpillar and I think that the illustration of the caterpillar is beautiful because it it shows that that something is happening on the inside transformation happens on the inside. Conf- Confirmation or conformity happens on the outside. And religion, religion is so good at, at asking you to conform. Be religious. Conform to our rules. Conform to our regulations. Conform to this. And and I find that a lot of Christians try to teach that that's how you live the Christian life. You don't live the Christian life like that. It's the inward transformation of God's word in your life, changing you from the inside out, just like the caterpillar will turn into a butterfly. Now, the caterpillar um, will weave its cocoon and be in there, and it and and it will struggle to get out. It will struggle, struggle, struggle to get out. And what happens if you take a little knife and help it? Anybody know? It'll die. I've heard this from a number of sources. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, we have a do- we have a doctor here that could probably explain this much better than me. But I know this that if you if you take away the struggle, it is not able to develop. It'll come out and die. God brings struggle into our lives for many reasons. One of those is to help you grow. I don't think I, I personally. I cannot think of any time in my life that I've had any significant advance or growth apart from a struggle. Now, it's kind of depressing to have to say that because I would love to just say, hey, read this book. Hey, everybody, read this book or listen to this tape or you listen to the sermon and you know what? God will just, you will be like amazing Christian. But I have found that all through my life, The significant moments of growth, there have been stressors, hard things, testing my faith, hard to believe, hard to trust in God. And I've had to go back to the Scripture and say, Lord, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you in this. That struggle is part of God's changing your life. We are changed. Not we change, we are changed. There's a difference of what happens to us through the, the Word of God working in our hearts and lives. And it says, "Justice from the Lord, the Spirit. And I think it's interesting that that's the last part of this verse. It says, "Justice from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, none of this happens apart from God. His Spirit working in you through His Word, to change your life. And he describes this as from glory to glory. He's going to change you. And what is it going to look like? Well, it's going to be from glory to glory. Now, I know this. When I read that, I think, I don't feel too glorious. (laughs) I just really don't feel too glorious in my life. But what he's saying is when God changes you and you become more like Christ, it brings glory to God. It's glorious. And some of your translations may read, because I think a literal translation is from one degree of, degree of glory to another degree of glory, to another degree of glory, to another degree of glory. Now, my life hasn't gone like this, one degree of glory to another degree of glory, to a lesser degree of glory. <laughs> but as time goes on, it kinda of look like a, a line, it's not like it's not like a straight shot graph of going from I got saved here till I'm in heaven. There are times where we we struggle in our faith, but but the truth is, the more we apply, the more we grow, the more we look into the Word and are, and are called to obedience, called to faith, called to act and trust Him, called to, to respond to what He's teaching to us, trust in His Spirit, He changes us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. It is an amazing, amazing thing. And I, I, we call this progressive sanctification. In other words, sanctification is being made holy or being made more like Christ, but it's progressive. Salvation is instantaneous. When you put your faith and trust in Christ and become a Christian, just like that, okay, in a moment, you become a child of God, you're headed for heaven, the Holy Spirit's in you. There, th- that part of your Christian experience is instantaneous, and it will never change. But your growth is a lifetime. It's a lifetime. And don't get discouraged. Chapter 4 deals with this. I think I'm, I'm going to get into this later. Don't lose heart in it. We live in a fallen world. In fact, yesterday I, or, or Friday, I was going by Good Sam to pick up some prescriptions. And, I, and it just dawned on me I was walking to this big, massive hospital and, and uh, clinics and doctors. And I said, all these people coming in, with wheelchairs, and people driving up and being, needed help with canes coming out. And um, and I thought, you know what? When we get to heaven, I don't think this place is going to be here. You think about it. The entire hospital system is necessary because we live in a fallen world. And so, I think there'll be plenty of things to do in heaven, but that's not going to be health-related things. Are <laughs> not going to be part of it. And until we do get to heaven, we're still going to struggle like that—the the caterpillar in the cocoon, struggling, struggling, struggling. I, I call it the agony of humanity. And every struggle should drive us to the mirror to reflect the face of Christ upon us, and we respond with an open face, an unresistant face, in faith, interchanged the same image. My challenge to you was, would, would be this, not to grow weary in it. And then end with this question this morning. Are you changing? Are you changing? So what's changed about you in the last year that shows that you're more like Christ than before? For some of us, we think, you know, there was a time period in my life where I was just really growing and really changing, and God was at work in my life, and, and I was learning and, and responding. And he said, you know, but, but lately I've been kind of coasting. Folks, we're not done. Because it is the radical transformational change of a Mary Harding that reaches the heart of her dad, Walter and it is the radical transformation of Walter that reaches the lives of those second-grade boys. This is what authenticates Christianity, is a changed life. It is what communicates to the world, not just pages of doctrine. It is a life that is changed and changing. And my prayer is this, that, and I've, and I've seen this in the life of my own father, is that, and he's in his mid 80s now. He's still changing, still growing, still in the Word, still t- telling me what he's reading, till, still sh- sharing things where God's convicted him about what he needs to do. And that, to me, proves the reality of Jesus more than anything else in the world, is seen through the lives of people. Father, we pray that as we read these truths in the Word, and are so excited by them that we would not lose our desire for you to change us. I pray that if there is any resistance, any holding back, any, Lord, veil over our hearts, that we would trust you. And and, and to, to remove that veil to help us to see willingly everything you'd show us and teach us and change us. And, Lord, I pray that there's anyone here today, this morning, that came that has never come to the point where they have put their faith and trust in Jesus alone for eternal life, that they would do that today. More important than anything in life. But, Lord, help us not to be satisfied and content with just being saved, that you'd give us a hunger and thirst for your transforming work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.